When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant, and coming up in this episode, ventriloquism and puppets. Being a ventriloquist, it's it's kind of like a different life than like a lot of normal lives. Basically, for a word like basketball, you replace the B's with D's. So you want to say dasket doll. So you're going that get doll, and then you're thinking the letter B that I did. I walked up to this guy and started doing it, and he thought I was uh, like doing witchcraft in front of him. There might be the possibility that you might not be good either, and that's that's like the worst thing. If being a bad ventriloquist is way worse than being a bad comedian. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share, leave a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So I want to get right to our first guest, because if you're like me, you want to know how they do that. This is ventriloquist Jack Williams. I, th- I think the first question has to be, right, obviously, like, how do you do this? Um. Well, I would say being a ventriloquist, it's it's kind of like a different life than like a lot of normal lives. Uh it takes a lot of dedication, but just the the uh, actual ventriloquism aspect of, of doing it is mostly all about um, using your tongue and uh, breath control and using your diaphragm. So I, I do a lot of uh, tongue twister exercises and I usually will, you know, put my tongue on the roof of my mouth when I'm trying to say a word. And that's pretty much all of what ventriloquism is. It's just all, it's all about like just using your tongue and kind of uh, making sure your lips aren't, um, you know, shaky or anything like that and making it really steady. It's, it's a long explanation. Like I, I've been doing this for, uh, I want to say 13 years now, ever since I was like uh, 12 years old. So it's been, a, it's been a long journey for sure. <laughs> How long did it take before you got good at it, like good enough where you could actually do this kind of in public kind of thing. You know, it's interesting. I, um, I would say that I, when you, cause I feel like when you're young, you can kind of pick up things and learn things a lot quicker than when you're older. And so when I started, I would say I didn't really, cause I started performing, I started at 12 and I started performing when I was 14 and looking back at those, uh, tapes of me performing i i performed at a ventriloquist convention so that that's kind of like how i uh got introduced to it i would go to these um conventions where there was about 500 ventriloquists all in one place and it's in fort mitchell kentucky and so in my mind i was like oh that's this is like a normal thing so that's that really was what got me into it and so i felt comfortable performing around other ventriloquists and 
I would even say at 14, I was, I was pretty decent, um, performing, but it, I think I really started getting good, uh, once I moved out to LA and started doing like comedy clubs and stuff like that, because that was like the real test of, okay, uh, you have to be funny and you have to do lip control and all that stuff. So I'd say probably like where I felt like I was like a kind of more rounded performer, like in my like, like 22, I would say. So is it kind of like magicians where there's a secret and you don't necessarily tell people or is it pretty much you can look up on the internet like how to become a ventriloquist? Yeah, I, I would say that most ventriloquists are self-taught. I, I haven't met um, a single ventriloquist that had um, a teacher or somebody like teaching them ventriloquism um, unless – sometimes pageant um, – you know, people in pageants, when they want to do a, a ventriloquist act, they'll have a teacher. But I would say most ventriloquists who just want to do it as an art form are all self-taught. Like, I I started out, um, what got me into ventriloquism was watching uh, Goosebumps, the the one with the, uh, the, the slappy dummy. And I... My friend was so afraid of the dummy and I, I, I wasn't afraid. I just thought, like, I want one of those. And, um... I asked my dad, I was like, do you have a ventriloquist dummy? And he was just like, yes. And he, he actually did have one um, in his garage. So um, I started practicing with that. It was like an old Jerry Mahoney dummy that uh, Paul Winchell used to use, uh, ventriloquist from his childhood. And so I just started practicing with that, uh, you know, scaring my brother, kind of just walking around the house doing like stupid little acts. And yeah, I would say most ventriloquists kind of start out that way, just kind of experimenting and just talking to themselves, as weird as that sounds. Were you surprised that your dad had a ventriloquist dummy in the house? Looking back at it, I, I think I should have been surprised. But as a 12-year-old, I think I was just really happy that he had one. Yeah, I could definitely see that as being one of those things where you're like, oh, awesome, you've got it. And then later in life, like, why did you yes, have that? Yes, ex exactly. <laughs> that's not, it's a little unexpected, Exactly. Right? I'm like, wait, that's not like uh, a, I don't think every parent has a doll like that talks. So when you do it, right, so are you talking the same way? You're just doing it more your tongue is essentially performing the duties of both your mouth and your tongue. Does this make any yeah. sense? You're essentially talking without moving your yeah, mouth. Yeah, exactly. Basically. So when I'm um, talking and doing ventriloquism, it's especially on stage, it's kind of like compared to juggling because sometimes I've had instances where I um, will have uh, will I, I, the, the puppet's voice will come out of my mouth. And I won't even subconscious. I'll be like, oh, like I just, I just did the puppet's voice. I wasn't trying to do that. And, but it's, so it, it's like, it's doing comedy and focusing on not moving your lips and controlling a puppet. So when I'm doing it, it's almost, and now it's like second nature. It's like the two kind of brains, basically, like the puppet brain and my brain. But, um, I also have to keep like conscious of, of, of not moving my mouth as well. It's like a constant conversation. So if I'm like, hey, hey, what's up? Oh, nothing. You good? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know, like it's a, it's just like this back and forth like dialogue as far as like just how like you would talk to somebody, you know. Um, it's confusing. There, there's a lot of uh, uh, little parts to it that uh, you kind of learn as as you, you know, get into like I'd say like year five of being a ventriloquist. 
Now, does it? Do you have some kind of your vocal cords are special? You have this uniquely shaped tongue. Your whatever is there something physical? Um, I would say that it's it's straight practice because I don't think I was born with any like unique tongue or anything like that. I I would say that. Um, I was always like a performer as a kid. Like I, I did acting and, and other stuff before ventriloquism. But the reason that I pursued it is I knew that I was good at it. Like I knew that I was better at ventriloquism than acting. And I knew that if I didn't like capitalize on it and something that I was genuinely, truly good at, because you can be a good actor and, uh, you know, never make it or, or never kind of make an impact. But I figured if I, if I'm just good at ventriloquism, this is something that not many people do. And I really, really enjoy the art form. Th- then I might as well go for it. I think it's just like being passionate about anything. Uh, there's, there's different, uh, vocal techniques that you can do to warm up. Like usually I'll, uh, breathe in deep so I can uh, have my airflow coming from my diaphragm out through my mouth because a lot of times what happens um, on stage is I'll get too throaty and sometimes I'll run out of air, if that makes sense. So I'll, I'll be on stage and I'll be telling a joke and it'll be like, uh, well, I need a, uh, and I have to like take a breath. I'm like, <gasps> you know, so it's really good to, it's kind of like being an opera singer, yeah, yeah. you know, you have to like have all your air come out or else I, like, so I've never done longer than a 30 minute set. And I, I see ventriloquists do like an hour and a half. And I'm like, man, that's, that's really hard to do like a whole hour and a half. Cause you just have to have constant, um, lung control and, and, and breath control as far as being a performer. I, I've heard of ventriloquists not speaking to anybody the entire day up until their performance because they just want to save all their vocal energy. Why is it so much harder? Just because of the way that you have to speak kind of from the diaphragm or is it just... It, it's it's because uh, you're... It, it's, it's because I feel like it's more concentrated. Like I, I honestly am like completely out of breath like uh you know just exhausted after a show so one thing i've noticed whenever i've like looked at a ventriloquist right their mouth always seems to be just a little bit open does your mouth have to be just a little bit open or is that like this is just what happens if if i feel like if your mouth's completely closed it'll just you know kind of just be like mumbling sounds but um i feel like the true ventriloquist can get their mouth to be slightly open, but it, it looks still a little natural. You see a lot of ventriloquists like smiling and they'll be like, Hey, how's it going? It's good to see you, you know, and, and, and it just doesn't look natural because they just, they just have this big smile on the whole time. So I try to like mix it up. I'll try to like have a neutral face. And when I think something's funny, if the puppet's saying something funny, I'll, uh, kind of like smile while they're talking and, you know, just, just try, try to keep the face as natural as possible. So give me some leeway on this question because I think I'm going to phrase it terribly and possibly offensively. I don't mean it that way. I'm just trying to ask the question, right? So like is being a ventriloquist, I'll be dramatic, an easier path to stardom, so to speak, than not? Like, right? Like if you're going to be a comedian, it's really hard to be a comedian, but it's maybe a little bit easier if you're a ventriloquist comedian. I would say no. I would say yes and no because – the, the the reason I think it's harder 
is because you have to dedicate first to being a ventriloquist, right? So if if you're going down the road of, of being a ventriloquist and you're not fully dedicated and there might be the possibility that you might not be good either. And that's, that's like the worst thing. If being a bad ventriloquist is way worse than being a bad comedian, in my opinion, because it's, it has a way worse, like, Oh, like this guy, like it's, it, it's just even explaining it to people that don't know like what I do when I tell them uh, it's like, I feel like I almost constantly like just get this rand like this judgment I'd, I'd say, you know, and that's, that's something that doesn't happen when you're a comedian, when you're like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a standup. Everyone's like, Oh, that's cool. Like what clubs do you perform at? When I'm like, Oh, like I'm a ventriloquist. They're like, Oh, like, do you like, uh, talk to your dolls when no one's around? You know what I mean? Like, just, it just comes with a, it's different territory. It comes with a whole set of, uh, different questions and, uh, judgments. Why do you think that is that people kind of are like, that reaction you talked about, like, oh, you're a ventriloquist. Like, why do you, where do you think that comes from? Um, I think it comes from the whole, doll thing i think that a lot of people don't like dolls and they they're afraid of them and some people just don't like that also i would say um some people think i would say it's kind of more of like a like a second rate kind of thing of comedy as far as like uh prop comedy so some people are like oh you're you're using a prop it's kind of like a uh a crutch on stage. You're not just, you know, going out there being yourself. How important is the puppet? Right? Like, do you put a lot of thought into like, okay, I want it to look like this. It has to be like this size. Like, is there anything that has to be specific about the puppet? Dude, I would say that, you know, it's it's weird. A lot of ventriloquists get way too wrapped up in the puppet and they'll forget that you actually have to be funny and you'll have to... um be good at manipulating the puppet and, and, you know, like making it look alive. Cause you could take a sock, you could take your hand, you could take an orange and make it look real. If you're, if you're just a good ventriloquist. So the, the, the puppet itself is important, but I'd say the more important aspect is being funny and just being a good ventriloquist. Cause there has been ventriloquists, some of the best ventriloquists has, have used very, um, like, not uh, expensive things, very, like, low-end um, things, and made them look really real. Like, one of my favorite uh, ventriloquists, Nina Conti, she's um, a ventriloquist in the UK, and she uses uh, a little monkey puppet that was, like, a, a souvenir at, like, the Rainforest Cafe. Like... As far as just buying a good character, that's something that's really difficult to do for, for ventriloquism because it's, it ranges. Like, there's some puppets, like, that are okay that you could get for, like, 30 bucks, and then there's ventriloquist dummies that are $6,000 that, um, a lot of ventriloquists have. And they're more like collectors. They have a collection of ventriloquist dummies that are thousands of dollars. That I wish I could have, but they have them because that's that's just what they do. They just collect ventriloquist dummies. But there's there's not 
there's not anything in the dummy or the puppet that helps you, right? It's not like this thing's $6,000 because it's got super modulated voice deconstruction, right? It's, it's, there's nothing the dummy or the puppet is actually doing, right? No, exactly. The, the, having a very complex ventriloquist dummy won't really help uh, you as a ventriloquist. It can help the performance aspect of it if you want something with more animations. Like, there are some really cool ventriloquist dummies that have moving eyes, raising eyebrows. There's ones that stick out their tongue. Uh, there's ones that can make their upper lip go up. Um, and Holy. those are the ones that, that I Man. think the most expensive ventriloquist dummy that I've heard of was like 35000 Yeah, because because of the rarity of it and um, because of how many animations it can do. Like its nose could light up red. Its like hair can go up. There's some crazy ventriloquist dummies. The coolest like uh, dummy place that I've been to... Um, this like sounds funny, like dummy place, but, uh, the coolest place I've been to is, is, uh, there's a ventriloquist dummy, uh, museum in, in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky. And it's this like small, like few little buildings. And I mean, if you had a a phobia of like dolls that this would be like your absolute nightmare if you went there. Um, and you, you walk in and there's just probably like 50 or 60 dummies just sitting in chairs, just kind of like lifeless. And they all have so much history. So if you're a ventriloquist, you can take your puppet there and kind of put it to rest, as people would say, because it's it has all the dummies and all their um, former ventriloquists uh, that used to use them all kind of laid out. So they have like Jeff Dunham's old puppets, Terry Fader's, um, all, all the ventriloquists. And then there are some genuinely scary dummies. And I, I don't really get, uh, scared of puppets that easily, but there are some dummies that are from, I want to say either the 17 or 1800s that have real human teeth and real human hair. And that, that is where I'm like, okay, that is kind of, that is pretty scary. Yeah. <laughs> Right? I can kind of see why people have a certain, like, we like, you know, we love to, like, anthropomorphize animals, but if it's too much like us, then it's like, ooh, we kind of don't like that that exactly. much. Exactly, right? and, and that's like, where I think that um, sometimes the ventriloquist dummy is a little bit more beneficial than uh, a puppet in some instances. Like, I noticed when, when I was performing at clubs more, uh, when I would use say like a bird puppet to tell human jokes it wouldn't they wouldn't land as well as if i had like the human puppet telling the same jokes because people are like they can see that it's a human if that makes sense and they're like oh yeah that's more re- there it's more relatable that's like a guy up there you know they kind of forget that it's fake a little bit so i guess two part question can you make a full-time living as a ventriloquist? I'm assuming the answer is yes, because there's pretty famous ventriloquists. But let's say you're A-level comedian. Does an A-level comedian, is he going to get or she going to get paid more than an A-level ventriloquist? Um, it, like That really depends. I would say it's definitely, if you're a good ventriloquist, like an A-level ventriloquist that's really good and has good routines, it's definitely easier than an a-level 
comedian just because uh, it's it's just a more of a unique act, I would say. Like, I remember I was doing a bigger show um, at the Hollywood Palladium a long time ago, like probably like three or four years ago. And I would just do all these open mics to prepare. And, you know, some of them were good and then others were just like dead silence. Or if I would get, I'd be happy if I got like one of the comedians in the audience. Cause it's basically all comedians watching other comics go up and perform. And so when they see like a guy with a doll on stage, they're like, wow, this is like, this is different. You know, I've never seen this before ever. Yeah. That would be brutal audience, right? It's every because you're filled. It's filled with people who don't want to laugh. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like that. <laughs> He's not better than me. And, and, and yeah, and <laughs> right? that's yeah, where that I. Has to be tough. A lot of the times, I almost felt like, man, I don't know what's better practice because if as as far as a stand up goes, it's less of an act and more of uh, being genuine on stage. I still try to be genuine, but what I do is is an act. It is like acting if that makes sense but yeah yeah. stand-up is being real and being uh kind of like raw on stage where people can see those funny sides of you uh where i a lot of the times i was like man i could have just practiced this at home and i would have uh, felt less sad are you ready for some listener submitted harder questions yes what is the hardest word letter or sound to say what is the easiest it's different for a lot of ventriloquists, a lot of ventriloquists struggle with the letter B. I feel like I do well with the letter B, like basketball. Basically, for a word like basketball, you replace the Bs with Ds. So you want to say dasket doll. So you're going dasket doll. And then you're thinking the letter B in your brain. So you're saying the letter D, but thinking B. And then you're putting it together and you're like dasket doll, dasket doll basketball 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 you know you you kind of just think of the letter that so that's what i'm doing is i'm thinking of the letter for me i i don't really think the b is that hard but i think the letter p is really hard for p you're replacing it with a t like the hardest word for me is people because it's two p's it's like people p people and it's i really do not i try to never write that word into my act um an easy word would be uh words that you just words that you don't have to like um move move your lips for so you could say something like uh uh, like sun you don't have to move your lips for sun just sun you know uh uh you could say uh hand hand you know you you don't like it's just any word that you don't have to really move your lips for because you have to move your lips for like letters like w b p and m and then i'm imagining like when you sit down and you write your act so to speak like your ventriloquists are purposely ooh, don't want to say that word like i need to i can't say people i have to say individuals or something like that like will you specifically kind of write around it for sure. Yeah. Sometimes I won't realize it because I won't be doing the ventriloquism until after. Um, and I, cause, and then I will realize, oh, I use people too much. I gotta, I gotta replace that word or I use everyone too much. Gotta replace that word. Who's the Michael Jordan of ventriloquism? 
Ooh, alive or dead? Well, give us both. Okay. Um, I would say uh, probably the like the best of all time would just be Edgar Bergen, just because he kind of revolutionized it. Um, as far as a, in the vaudeville era, he 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 was mostly known for radio and a lot of people uh thought that his puppet charlie mccarthy was a real person on the radio um until he started doing shows and live performances and it would kind of then that was kind of the joke they you know they saw that uh he had a ventriloquist dummy and so he kind of revolutionized it in as far as like doing it in vaudeville and performing uh in like the live circuit in in uh um because, yeah, ventriloquism was around before stand-up, I would say, because, he, you know, he did that whole vaudeville era uh, type of stuff. So I would say him for sure, just because he was in movies. Uh, he was huge in the 50s. Um, but as far as alive today, I would say it's, it's definitely Jeff Dunham as far as somebody who has just reached that, like, insane level of fame of a that a ventriloquist has never reached before. Uh, like, Jeff Dunn's more famous than any ventriloquist ever. And I think that he kind of downplays it any time he does an interview or anything like that. But he definitely... Um, n no one's ever been, like, that mainstream. I think he has, like, seven comedy specials. And I remember I was watching his show at the Greek Theater, and... It's just his performance ability to be able to like get through, like I said, that long stretch of time without getting vocally winded is just insane. Do people ever try to call you out? Like, I saw your mouth move. Um, I would say not really because I, I don't really mess up that much. I would say. I, and that's kind of cocky of me to say, but I, I've never had a moment where I've really like moved my lips. I, I would be able to say like, um, if I, if I really, I, if I did really mess up, I'd be like, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, could see my lips moving, but I try to make it so it's, you know, I, you can't, I would say that's the whole, that's the whole goal. I, yeah, I've never had anyone call me out for something like, uh, when I was a kid, yeah, when I was like doing those shows, there would be like judges and they'd be like, Oh, you could work on your, your, your lip movement. And that just like stuck with me. I was like, this will never happen again. Do you ever accidentally do it in real life? Like not to mess with people, but it's just purely an accident. Honestly, no, I never, for sure. I've, I've never accidentally done it. Every time I'm doing ventriloquism, I, 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 it's like a muscle. Like, you know, you're doing it. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. What is people like yeah. if you do it just on the street, right? When somebody's not suspecting it, what's generally people's kind of reaction? Um, they're like generally just like confused, sometimes scared. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I have a, a, a video that really blew up on TikTok that I did. I walked up to this guy and started doing it and he thought I was, um, uh, like doing witchcraft in front of him. And, uh, when I told him it was just like a video and I was a ventriloquist, um, then he understood. So a lot of people don't really understand it. Um, but then other people just kind of think that there's something wrong with me. Has anybody ever thought that like the dummy was real? No, no, no one's ever thought the dummy was real. I have had 
I have had, had people say like, wow, like I, I really forgot that you were with a puppet. Like I really thought that, you know, that puppet, like I thought I forgot that you were controlling it. So they kind of, it's that uh, whole illusion kind of thing as far as like the, the magic aspect of it. Um, and I have had uh, an old woman come up to me after a show and say, I, you know, I, I loved your act. I couldn't watch you the whole time because I have a, a, a fear of dolls. So I had to look down the whole time. But I heard everything you said, and it was funny. That's, an, that's a good compliment, but an interesting compliment, right? Um, that's pretty much all the questions that I have. Is there anything else you think we missed, or what's what's coming up next for you? I'm about to hit a million followers on TikTok, so that's exciting. Um, really excited about that. It's been an insane journey, and it's definitely... Um, really, really helped my career as far as, you know, just accelerating it forward and all that stuff. Um, and yeah, just, just writing a whole new act right now, getting, uh, back into the swing of performing live shows again. Now that, uh, COVID restrictions are lifted in LA, as far as in most comedy clubs, some are still a little bit, uh, I, you still have to have a vaccine, but, um, you know, that just goes without saying for a comedy club, at least. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm excited to get back into the swing of things and just start performing again. I want to thank Jack so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media sites. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And we've also included his information in the episode description. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. I have to say, we have this new system, and I messed up the audio a little bit. It's fine. It's like 90 to 95% of what it should be. It's just the fact that this is the second time I've done this, and I did it again. There won't be a third, though, I promise you. What season do you feel like you look your best? Like, what time of the year do you feel like you look your best? Um, that's a, that's a tough one. I, I mean, I, I'd probably say the fall. I feel like, cause the fall is my kind of uh clothing weather where you can wear layers that cover up your body. See, I feel like I look best in spring, particularly kind of early spring where you can get away with like shorts, a shirt, and then a okay. sweatshirt so that I can cover up most of the, most of the bad parts in the upper half, but I can flash <laughs> the legs. So obviously the the my big thing is summer, right? I mean, I I want to find somebody that says that they look the best in summer, and then I will tell them that I do not believe you. Anybody probably under the age of twenty five. What what age do you think you hit, where you're just like I don't care about my body in the summer anymore? Thirty thirty three thirty four. I don't think that you ever hit that point. I think that you just hit a point in which you don't have the energy to do anything about it anymore. No, actually, I would say now is when I when I feel like I look my worst, because you know you don't really take care of yourself through the Christmas time, and then you're going now into in Michigan January and February are the worst fucking months. It's always dark, it's always cold, it's always snowy. Um, so I I kind of feel like I look like fucking Louis Anderson right now. That was recent. He was a good actor. That that is probably actually true because if you think about it, right at the end of winter. You've basically had all of the buildup from Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, all of Valentine's Day, all of the let's eat a bunch of shit holidays, and you're really pale. So you've got all the weight 
and all the paleness. So you probably do look your worst right in February. February is the month that people look their worst. Yeah, and then you th- and then you throw in a pandemic, whereas some people have been working from home and haven't had to put on real pants, and uh, well, it all gets thrown to hell. But hey, I can still fit into my pants, so I haven't gained that much weight, I don't think. All right, let's give some shout-outs. Now we're going now on week six, where John continues to think it's really interesting to talk directly into the microphone. Eventually, hope we're hoping that he will get tired of it. All right, uh, let's see here. Dana Smith, appreciate you. Uh, Quinlan Brown, Elizabeth Diaz, Jeremiah Owens, Rick Carmen, Mario Castro, Tiffany Rumbo, Cody Viduya, Max Crizzo, and Lane Chance. Appreciate all of you. Special shout out to Tiffany. She sent us an incredibly nice note. She also got one of our shirts. We're gonna send her something nice. Oh, nice! Is it uh, is it my headshot with the personal autograph that I do for everybody, or no? Man, my my autograph or whatever you want to call it is fucking terrible. I mean, it is bad. Mine looks like a child did it. I'm having multiple people. I'm embarrassed about. I am more, almost more. There is no. There is nothing. No outward expression of myself. My appearance. The way I talk. <laughs> nothing that I am more outwardly embarrassed by than my signature on things. It looks ridiculous and it's bad. Yeah, that's... And like people have commented like, Ooh, that's your signature. <laughs> uh, and you're just like, yeah, I'm five. It's laughable. Like it's, it is the most unmanly thing that I do is my sign, my name. Oh, well, all right. I don't know why I'm thinking of this, but, uh, in school, were you a, did you fill out the bubbles or were you always one of those kids that like went all over the place? Cause you couldn't keep it inside the bubble. No, dude. I mean, it's not hard. If you're having difficulty filling in the bubbles correctly so that the little Scantron thing can read your test, if that's the problem, you weren't going to pass the test in the first place. Uh, Yeah, real talk. I don't know how else to describe that. I was just wondering. You seem like a kid that might have not filled in the bubbles correctly to me. I don't know. Did you have trouble with Uh, it? No, I, I I was an eraser, though. So, like... You know, erasing those things was a pain in the ass with a pencil sometimes. If you had no idea which one was it, were you going, what were you going to pick? I usually went in order. So, like, I would start with A, then go B, then go C, then go D, and just start over like that, you know? Oh, that's I mean, terrible. I figured I had one, one out of 25% that's... chance that way. Like, instead of just picking all Bs or Cs or Ds or As. There's one letter that's you're more statistically likely to be correct. I just don't remember if it's B or C. So your strategy was, you know, incorrect, not not well informed, and was the worst strategy possible. All right, well let's uh, let's see what you got here. I got a couple of uh, humdingers for you. All right, uh, <laughs> uh, Sarah, would you rather stub your toe or get a paper cut? Probably stub my toe. Yeah, I would stub my toe before I would want to get a paper cut. Uh, depending on the level of severity of the paper cut, I think I'd rather go paper cut. Paper cuts don't bother me a whole lot. Yeah, but a stub toe is worse, but it doesn't linger very long like a paper cut does. Especially if you get it like at the wrong place on your fingers, because anything that's on your hand, you're going to run into, you're going to just have trouble with that all the time. The stub toe is definitely worse from the onset, but it fades away. Like the paper cut... Anything that happens to it, you're gonna you're gonna catch it again. Alrighty, uh, the next one here. Uh, would you rather accidentally like an old photo of your ex, say on Instagram, uh, 
or accident, <laughs> accidentally send a sext to your dad? An old photo? How old are we talking? We going like I may there may be a chance that I reasonably that, it, that may have just popped up. Like I could, I would say within six months, unless they post all the time. But I would say you could go fifteen posts back. <laughs> And there might be some, like, all right, that's a little strange, but it's not super strange. <laughs> but if you go any more than 15 posts back, ooh. <laughs> have, have you yeah. ever, have you ever done, it doesn't have to be an X, but have you ever been on social media and you accidentally like something or maybe send a friend request or a request or something like that to somebody that you didn't mean to, but you might've been a little drunk or you might've just done it by accident. You ever done that? I've probably tried to slide into somebody's DMS when I was much younger before I met my wife. What are you? What are you? A 15 year old boy slide into their DMS. And look, I was a former, uh, TV news reporter. So I would get like, people would follow me occasionally that I had uh-huh. never met. And so I would like respond back, right? Like I'm not going to be on TV and not try to get something out of it when I'm a single man. <laughs> that's, that's, they, and people can people can think of that how they want, but like, look, <laughs> if, you, if you've got an advantage, use the advantage. It's stupid not yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think, you can think of it however you want, but if you're in a position like that or an athlete or, or even anything, everyone uses it. I, I don't care who you are. If somebody writes you a check, you cash it. Tough enough. All right. I want to get your take on this. Um, so this is happening now. It's a current event. Uh, there was a sh- There's a ship carrying about 4,000 vehicles traveling from Berlin to Rhode Island. Caught fire. Uh, the crew evacuates. However, <laughs> I don't know why you're already laughing, but uh, the crew evacuates. The ship is, ju- the ship is just... It's just in the water. It's on fire. They can't put it out because they can't get, you know, boats out there. So you have these 4,000 Bentleys, Audis, uh, Porsches, BMWs, just all these cars going up in flames, right? So I saw something, and I don't think this is accurate, but I just wanted to get your take on it because I thought it was interesting. Somebody said because it's in international water that the – because the ship's been abandoned, that the ship is practically up for take now. Like you – like it's fair use. Like it's – yeah. Anyone could go get it. Any, you know, it still has an owner, but the owner's not present. There's not a person on that ship. So, like, it's almost worth it for somebody to be like, yeah, you know what? I'll take the chance. I'll go rescue a couple of BMWs from that ship. But it's not like you get to keep them. As soon as you go get it, you bring it back into whatever country it is. There's still the owners of them. It's just in international waters that anybody could go do anything they wanted to on that ship when they wanted. Like you could potentially go put out that fire and just drive all of those cars into the ocean or just fucking badass them around. But it's not like you, it's not like it's, you could have a lot of fun with it, but it's not a money-making scheme in any way. But isn't there some, like, I believe fireboats just reuse the water. Like, why can't they just get close enough with the fireboat? My guess would be... That because that company has insurance or whatever, it's probably the cost of getting somebody to go out there, put that fire out. It's probably better for them just to let the fucking thing sink. Okay. All right. Is that your whole thing? Quite excited for a top five that we're going to butcher, but let's do it. There was a lot more than I actually initially thought there was. And I had a lot. This I might have had more trouble with this than I've had with any wow, top okay. five. So our, our, 
our top five is top five puppets. What's your number five? I am going out on a limb here, and I feel like this could be one or two, but not my list. Uh, so my number five is E.T. Oh, I completely forgot about E.T. That's one of those that I don't think has stood the test of time as much as other ones, but it's definitely up there in terms of a one-off. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, he kind of defined... Ten years ago, he that kind of defined a genre. I mean, I agree with you that he hasn't had as long-lasting uh, effects as maybe when we were kids or growing up. But I still, I still think he deserves a spot. So that's why he's my number five. Okay, uh, my number five is Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, that's <laughs> okay. All right. Everybody knows who. Everybody knows who Chuck E. Cheese is, yeah. man. God, everybody knows who Chuck E. Like, Cheese there's is. There's so many that that you could that you could pick from. This is one of those. This is one of those top fives that I think people will be like, "How many? There's not that many." And then you start thinking about it, and you're like, yeah, "Whoa!" Uh, Chucky, the uh, the murderous villain from the Chucky movies. You think Chucky is more famous than E.T.? I don't know, man. E.T. definitely, if it was one movie, E.T. definitely, but Chucky over time, that's... Well, I, and that, I think Chucky has withstood, like, kind of like what we were talking about E.T., I feel like Chucky, uh, he's evolved, right? And he's he's a face of a, he is the face of a genre, one of them at least. Um, yeah. And yeah. he's the central character in that movie, whereas E.T., E.T. is... Yeah, but it's kind of more about the kids. Yeah, I mean, it goes back... Yeah, I mean, he's the main protagonist, essentially. But, yeah, he's... Hmm. It's about yeah. him. But it's not necessarily the main thing. Man, I gotta... My number four is... Bert and Ernie. Okay. Um, I haven't made... <laughs> I'm doing this list as I go. I have things like in front of me, but I, I, I don't know if I'm going to put them on the list yet, to be honest. I don't know. I don't know. Like I could see them. I could take that. That would, that would be my least argument about that. Cause I could put big bird in there at number four, but I think any of those strong Sesame street characters, Bert and Ernie, big bird, mm-hmm. Oscar, the grouch, my man, count Chocula could go in there at number four for me. So are you just going to go with like a Sesame Street variety as number four? Yeah, but not the main one, right? I, yeah, I would go with secondary Sesame I Street see. characters could all go in at number four. Uh, my number three, I'm going to go with uh, Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. Oh, that's my number three too is Kermit. Once, it, another thing I, I just realized in talking to you is that most of these characters don't they were big when we were kids, maybe even when we were young adults, but man, they, I mean, you ask a young child today if, if they know who Kermit is, I don't know if they're going to tell you. Oh yeah, maybe not. I don't think that's so. why they, that's why you could, that's, but that's why my top three or my top two, I think that everybody knows exactly who they are, but I could, I could hear that. Kermit's definitely above Miss Piggy. I mean, he's the most famous of those Muppet characters. I don't really know any others besides Miss Piggy. My number two is, I, I had a variety of Sesame Street characters as my number two. 
So, mm, okay, like, like okay, you, like, you like you said, Big Bird, uh, um, oh hell, uh, Bert and Ernie, uh, the Grover, the Garbage Guy, just you know. First of all, use his name with some respect in your mouth. It's fucking Oscar the Grouch. Yeah, Oscar the Grouch. That's who it is. Yeah, but I, I think not to have Sesame Street in the top three in in some some form or fashion it would be wrong. So. Okay. All right. What's oh my number two is Elmo. I think he's a level above other Sesame Street characters now. He's basically taken over that show. It really used to be Big Bird's show, but now it's Elmo's show. Yeah, I, I, I'm just thinking back to like the profitability of each character, and I would say that Elmo has always been probably the most profitable character on that entire show. I would agree with that. But when we were growing up, Big Bird was the one that everybody knew, and he kind of got replaced by Elmo. Now Elmo is like <laughs> Elmo's in the Elmo is now the centerpiece of every episode. Where before, I think it was mainly centered around Big Bird. Yeah, but Big Bird's... I'm, I've used this word about 10 times so far. I don't think he's as sustainable like as Elmo is. And I don't even know why Elmo is a good character, other than kids love the way he shakes and laughs and all that other shit. Because of his size, right? Kids, He's more along the lines of a child's size than Big Bird. Like, Big Bird's just this big thing. Nobody wants to be that big, giant thing. Not as a kid. You're like, like whoa. Things, like, uh, it's almost like... I almost I almost put Elmo as my number one, and I I don't know like I just I you, number one I feel like has to be unanimous, uh, but I'll say it right now my number one is Yoda. Yeah, I thought at okay. first you were going to go a completely different direction. And I was going to get upset. Yoda has to be number one. Elmo could be up there, man. It, it's kind of like uh, in sports where everybody knows who number one is. And it's pretty clear that they're number one. But that other one might, on a good day, give them a run for their money. Like, Elmo could give Yoda a run for their money every once in a while. But overall, like, if they played ten games together, Yoda's taken eight of those, but (laughs) Elmo could get two. Maybe three. Yeah, I I would probably probably go nine to one, to be honest. But it's it's all good. I don't know uh, let's see. I'll, I'll just start naming off some characters here. Uh, Cookie Monster. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, Cookie Monster for sure. I, I almost put him in the top five, but I obviously yeah. Didn't. We should um, do top five Sesame Street characters. Uh, Gizmo from Gremlins. Yeah, ten little little dated for now, but yeah, our age. Yeah. Uh, the Fraggle Rock Gang. No. Um, and then, uh, I, I wanted to look this up, but I didn't, but it says that Pinocchio is a puppet. I guess that's true, right? Pinocchio is a puppet. So yeah, we, that's a huge oversight if you actually think about it, because wasn't the whole thing about Pinocchio, he was going to be a real boy. I'm a real boy. That was actually the best use that you've ever done of that. That was actually, okay. That was, that was fine. I was pleasantly surprised by that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if we did this list 20 years, 10 year, 20 years ago, Pinocchio would be number one pretty easily, I would think. Yeah, maybe. I, I still don't – I think 10 years ago it would have been super hard. 20 years ago it would have been impossible to pick a number one because that's when you had like Blue's Clues 
and a Pinocchio and Sesame Street and all those characters at like their, their their highest. I would say that five years ago, Yoda might not have been number one, and it would have been Elmo. But the Mandalorian kind of brought Yoda back. Mm. No, I no, I I don't disagree with you that the Mandalorian took him even higher than his character already is. But I, I think Yoda's. I mean, everybody knows Yoda. Even people who don't know Star Wars know who Yoda is. Uh, my honorable mention. I got some other ones you didn't mention. Barney. See, I I looked I looked him up. He and was he, huge at a time. He was huge right. at a time. And he's listed as a puppet, but I'm pretty sure there was somebody inside. So like the suit. So well, there's somebody inside what, Big Bird, dude. Yeah, that's true. We, okay, we, move on. Whatever logic we apply, try to apply to this is going to be immediately proven like different in a second. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sure. All Chuck right, e. so Barney is clearly wrong. I got Barney mentioned Chuck E. Cheese. I got the Hamburglar, Hamburglar on there. I can okay. do go with the Hamburglar. Grimace. Oscar the Grouch. <laughs> Teletubbies. They Ooh. were big. Yeah. That might Who's be bigger. An, that might be as that might be as big of an oversight as Pinocchio when talking right now because Teletubbies. Were oh, huge. I don't know about that. My only question is who was bigger, Barney or Teletubbies? They were basically the same of that age. I think Barney lasted a little longer, but the Teletubbies were pretty big. I think Teletubbies are. Uh, I, I would. I would go with them over Barney. I for sure would. I think. Without looking it up, could you name the four Teletubbies? Absolutely, I think not. I could do but it. Ch- okay, you you try because I I would just be. I, I think it's like Winky Dinky. Tonky and Wonky or something? I, I have no idea. I remember there's three that have the name thing, and then there's a fourth one that doesn't. It's like Pinky, Winky, Blinky, and Dot. I'm pretty sure there's a Dot. <laughs> Will you look it up right now, and I'll go through my other honorable mentions. Uh, the other one, Lamb Chop. Lamb Chop was big oh. for a while. That's a good That's one. That's pretty much it. All of those other, besides Kermit and Miss Piggy, all of those other Muppet characters kind of run together a little bit. There's nothing major there. Yeah, that's all, all right, that you I ready really for, got. I mean, you ready for the Teletubbies names? Yeah. Tinky Winky, Poe. Oh, I knew there was a one. Lala and Dipsy. Fuck! I thought they were all like Pinky Winky Dinky and then Dot. Winky. But uh, Lala. I remember that intro where you just felt nauseous as an adult or yeah. as an old as as. As an older child watching that, you were just felt sick to your stomach, like yeah. And that fucking yeah, baby I, I son. Oh. Okay, that's gonna go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, please leave us a rating or a review. It really helps. We really appreciate it. And I'd love to know what do you think are some of the best puppets? Because there's a lot of them. And I think that depending on how old you are, that top five can change a lot. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.